Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Hans Pearson, CEO of the Store Local Group. And I'm Mark Gregg, I'm the National Head of Revenue for Store Local. In light of recent events, we thought we'd get some experts from all around the globe to share their experiences and give us something to take away and apply it into our businesses over the coming days and weeks. We're really excited, so let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to Storecast, uh, brought to you by Store Local here in Australia. Uh, delighted to have episode 13 today and uh, all future episodes you can find on our website storelocal.com.au forward slash storecast and and browse through uh, the various um, people that we've interviewed uh, over the last six months through COVID uh, all around the world in in Europe, the US, Asia and uh, and Australia. So uh, please take your time to have a look and, and today We've got another great episode and we're focusing, interestingly, on the area of uh, self-storage valuations. And uh, we've intentionally left this hot topic uh, for some time so that we can get a really good read on the market coming in through and then potentially coming, starting to come back out of COVID in a lot of markets. Uh, And unfortunately, in some markets, um, potentially being dragged on by... um, by a resurgence of, uh, of those market conditions. So it should be a good topical discussion um, and, uh, and hopefully there's some really practical takeaways and, uh, and some thought-provoking um, uh, learnings we can, we can have. So delighted to have a couple of special guests, uh, Ross Perkins, Managing Director of M3 Property, uh, one of the, the leading self-storage valuers here in the Australian New Zealand market uh, and has been in the game for quite some time. Uh, welcome, Ross. Uh, and also Linda Sharkey, also uh, one of the, uh, you know, of regard, um, Ross and Linda is the two leading valuers in the Australian self-storage market, and Linda is a director at Urbis based in Sydney, uh, and, and both Ross and Linda have a, a nationwide role and, and do a, uh, work in Australia New Zealand with, with the major brands and, and independent operators as well. So welcome, Ross. Welcome, Linda. Linda's outdoors there on uh, just north of Sydney uh, near Newcastle, I think. Is that, is that right? I'm on the central coast, not too far away. Central coast and uh, enjoying a bit of outdoor activity, which is great. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm delighted to have my co-founder, director and Store Local's Chief Investment Officer, Rob McTaggart, join us as well uh, from Brisbane. And uh, Rob has a long background in property valuation in a range of disciplines and in Store Local's in, in charge responsible for our acquisition and development program. So welcome, Rob. Thanks, Hans. So let's dive straight into it. We, we don't have a lot of time and we really appreciate the time that, you, that you've all made available. I guess just to open the discussion and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave Rob and, and others to, to progress the discussion along. You know, this has been unprecedented times, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, we're coming into Christmas and post-Christmas with a head full of steam in terms of cap rates. Uh, in the Australian New Zealand market, we've seen increasing, you know, we, we, we saw an increasing um, trend towards sort of flat, flat rents and yields, uh, yet the hunt for stock was at a level that was continuing to compress cap rates. Uh, and also seen an emergence of more multi-level stock versus more traditional ranch style uh, product. And 
really the strong emergence of, of a top tier of nationwide operators and then really strong city, uh, single city based operators and, and, and then a whole range of independent operators from one end of the country to the other. So the industry is really finding its feet in an institutionalised way. And then of course, we've had the unprecedented impact of COVID-19, uh, not just in Australia, but elsewhere. And what I'm really keen to understand from Ross and from Linda, what, what have you seen uh, in terms of uh, market dynamics from you know, mid-February until now, uh, both in the unlisted and, and listed space, and if you, any commentary, whether that's around cap rates, discount rates, which, which Rob can dig into in a bit more detail as we go forward, or, or just general market behaviour. Yeah, I think, yeah. Can I go first, Dick? Yep. The, um, just looking at it, if you go back to pre-COVID, uh, I think there's five or six factors which were driving all property sectors pretty strongly, you know, like, and that was a weight of money, uh, lower for longer interest rates, uh, property being seen as a safe investment compared to other uh, other investment opportunities. And then you had a very strong economy and, and good population growth uh, generally throughout Australia. So since that time, we've had a couple of things that have changed and, you know, like lower for longer interest rates are still here to stay. So I think that's, that's uh, a positive. The weight of money is still out there and property is still seen to be a good investment. So I think from that point of view, I think that uh, we're not gonna see much uh, slippage in yields going forward because all of those factors are still in play. And so, yeah, we, we don't see a lot of yield slippage coming out of all this, but other factors obviously uh, could impact on value. Um. Yeah, Ross, I've, um, it's an interesting thing on, on the, um, the cap rates. Um, and, you know, if you look at cap rates, they are, I don't want to be too theoretical, but they're, you know, the sum of the risk-free rate plus a risk component for yep. the asset. And the risk-free rate has dropped from, you know, a high of 16% in 1982 um, down to sort of less than 1% where it sits today. And as you said, that, um, that has, a, you know, yields have followed, they've compressed downwards and all real estate sectors have, have enjoyed that benefit. Yep. Plus there's the weight of money. There's that continuing increase of superannuation money flowing into super funds every day, um, all looking for a home. Uh, and but I, I sort of well we we've, we're developing a sort of hypothesis internally that we think we might be sort of at a bit of a fork in the road at the moment um, because the risk elements around an asset are tied to the income and its management uh, and if you sit here today and say well the disruption in commercial real estate in retail property hotels has been quite severe where storage is just being resilient and it's just stayed true and and really you know we haven't really missed a beat um and so i'm just wondering whether or where we're, we're sort of starting to think well are we going to start to see storage store storage cap rates decouple from their normal the relationship they've had with other real estate investment sectors in that 
either so storage cap rates will stay the same and other cap rates will soften uh, or so storage rates the cap rates will start to firm even more as the investment market see well the income is secure it's a real estate backed investment uh, and there's that weight of money starting to flow around looking for a home saying, well, we actually don't know what's going to happen with commercial rents moving forward. Retail significantly disrupted. Uh, so I just sort of put that out there. That's a sort of a hypothesis we're developing internally that we think self, where self-storage cap rates are sitting right now, we think there's going to be some, again, some further movement either in a relativity to other cap rates or in real terms that they'll firm even more? Well, I think there's certainly that potential there, Rob, but uh, I think you're already seeing uh, yields in some property sectors softening already, whereas in both in industrial and also in uh, self-storage, we're not seeing any decompression at all at this stage. So mm. we tend to agree with you. I can't see there being a lot more movement downwards in yields though, you know, like, at, um, but I've said that before too, by the way. Yeah. And I've been wrong. <laughs> so, but it's just, it's how low they can go, I think as much as anything, but uh, certainly retail and hotels and, and all of those sectors that have been hit hard, uh, I think they're already starting to uh, show signs of decompression. Mm. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I mean, at one stage we thought we were we were at the peak of the cycle, and um, we expected cap rates to definitely stabilise and not compress any further. But at each sale that we transact, even now, they're continuing continuing to sharpen. So, um, you know, feeling that as well as the lack of property that's available to purchase, and then the greater interest in alternate assets as well. So we see a lot of um, publications and a lot of market reports that aren't necessarily written by those in the industry so they're not written necessarily by um by us or by m3 but there is a lot of talk about um alternate assets at the moment being a safer place to invest and having that higher return so i actually think we're going to see more and more interest and potentially there's scope for further sharpening which we probably wouldn't have said 18 months ago yeah i uh, i i sort of tend to agree oh um and and you know when we look at as an example, we look at the abacus results that have come out and there's public document and, you know, abacus are a you know, blue chip company, they've got great assets and the sort of average cap rate for the store, for their self storage. And also the great thing about abacus is they've got, you know, they've got self storage portfolio, they've got an office portfolio, retail. So it's the same management structure. And they have got great assets, uh, and they're you know blue chip company. Uh, the self storage average cap rate six point six percent in their portfolio. The office is five point five percent. So there's a you know one hundred and ten basis points difference. Uh, but if you take out the risk free rate out of those, so you're saying well the risk the risk premium that have been associated to the cap rates for those assets, for the storage is 5.5% and the office is 4.4%. So they're basically, what, what the market is saying in that, in that assessment of value, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's just an, the, the relativity at the moment in the market is the market has 
uh, is in that portfolio saying there's 20% more risk in the self storage portfolio than the office portfolio. Um, but the self storage income moving forward, uh, we've seen has been fairly resilient. Um, so I just think that sort of relativity to me seems a little bit out of whack in that respect. Um, and whether we get, a sh as you say, with Linda, uh, there's their peers on that basis of sharpening, more sharpening of the cap rates in the storage portfolio, you would, you would think in that when you sort of look at sort of asset sector by asset sector and then consider the, you know, the, the, the um, abacus um, office income, you know, nearly 50 cents expiring the next couple of years. So on their leases, so there's quite a lot of risk around the security of that income. Um, it's fairly, fairly heavily disrupted that sector. So, uh, yeah, I think it's important to think about cap rates as risk and return. So risk is definitely one large component of it, but return is another component. And what we've seen since cap capitalization rates started to compress is that fight for return and then obviously outweighed with risk. So mm. that compressed office rates to rates that were more in line with retail rates before. Now, obviously, the retail sector is in a completely different dynamic. But I think as self-storage becomes more accepted as an asset class and matures, although I do think it's already matured in Australia, but continues to mature, then you're going to have more investors chasing that high return, which brings down cap rates further. Yeah. So, And that's what's happened in the office sector and the retail sector and the more traditional asset classes for some time. I think, it, although office is a really good comparison, I think it's really interesting to watch the industrial cap rates, um, which continue to compress in the downturn, as Ross rightly pointed out. And um, and I think there's going to be a, a broader or a, a less spread between the industrial and the, and the self-storage cap rates moving forward. And there's possibly more compression to occur in industrial as well with the demand that's there now through COVID. So, um, so yeah, it's important to think of them together, but it's also what the investors are chasing. And I think there's just a, a, a bright spotlight on alternate assets at the moment, which will drive that demand. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. I think the, you know, the office market in reality is in a world of pain or coming into a world of pain, just with structural changes to demand. Yeah. Uh, whereas it's, as, as we just mentioned, the, um, the industrial market is probably more aligned to, uh, uh, the self-storage sector. Mm. Like when we first started out valuing self-storage assets back in the mid-90s, we, we there was no sales. So we used to use multi-tenanted industrial sales. <laughs> Ross, I, I, um, I remember when we started investing 10 years ago, the banks would require an alternate use valuation because yes. what, if, what if storage doesn't work? Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's well in the review review mirror. Now. <laughs> uh, the, so that I, I guess just to pick up on that thread, Linda, the, and I'll sort of look at discount rates as as well. But you know what, what's underlying all of that? You talk about risk and return as the income streams, right? And the other feature of the abacus results uh, that there's a report by Macquarie today, Macquarie Bank. They identified the three different sectors that advocates have within their portfolio, which is a handy, it's a really handy sort of segmentation to be able to draw a direct comparison between the sectors from. And uh, in the retail portfolio, they recovered uh, below 50% of the rents, uh, in office 90%, and in self storage 98%. So 
nearly 100% of revenue actually collected. So the arrears are, are, are minuscule and, and we all know that and we, we're used to that. But then overlay on that the tenant risk, um, you know, within the, within the Abacus portfolio of 80 odd stores, although they're probably unreported on 57 of them, but go for the you know, 70 odd to 80 stores, the number of tenants across there is in the, you know, 10, 20, 30,000. So the diversity of the income is, and, and the reliability of the income is, is really significant, uh, clearly. Um, so with that and the risk-free rate, how do you then look at discount rates when you do your DCFs? Uh, how are you treating those future income streams and self-storage? Yeah, that's a good question, Hans. And it's important to look at what growth was doing, what rental growth was doing prior to COVID to get the answer to that question. Because as you know, we have have the Urban Storage Index, which gives us, um, I suppose, one point of, of measure for rental growth. And prior to COVID um, occurring, so when I talk about the December 2019 result, we had already recognized that rental growth was subdued. And in some regions, it was actually negative growth. And that has continued as we reissue the index. There's a, an issue about to come out. We've just looked at the 30 June data. So rental growth was subdued prior to COVID hitting, and then obviously COVID hasn't helped things. And the discount rate is, is fundamentally a measure of return over the 10 year cash flow or five year cash flow, whatever it is that you choose to do. We generally do a 10 year and um, and and year on year growth as well included in that. So what we like to see is, you know, Two and a half percent is is good growth these days in terms of revenue. Um, we haven't seen that in the last twelve months. Um, we are projecting that growth will be subdued over the next two to three years in most regions because of COVID hitting, and then we're predicting that um, rental growth will return thereafter. Um, will it go back to two and a half, three and a half levels? I'm not entirely sure, but that is all factored into the discount rate that we apply. So we we know roughly what's going to happen over the, the foreseeable future. So when I talk about foreseeable future, I'm talking about that two-year um, near term. And then after that, you try and predict what's going to happen in the market. So we are looking at that 10-year rental growth stream when we apply our discount rates. Now, as you know, we get our discount rates from how we analyze evidence. And most of the sales evidence that we've been analyzing is pre-COVID hitting. So we do have to look at that too. However, we have a number of transactions that we are aware of that have occurred throughout the COVID period, and we have no reason to amend those discount rates or those cap rates based on the sale prices that have come through. So for now, um, it's the same as it was before, but we are slowing that growth initially to reflect what's actually happening in the market. Yeah, and we're, we're doing very similar things. You know, like uh, we're predicting no growth, exactly what you said, actually, it's quite ironic. We're saying no growth for two years. I think we've got a slightly negative growth for the next 12 months. That's only very minor. And then we uh, we foresee it picking back up and going back to running in line with uh, CPI with what we're doing at the moment. And, and what do you see impacting that growth, uh, the, general, the general economic growth clearly, perhaps population growth? I'd love you to talk a bit more about discounting and how you, we can share some experiences in our own portfolio over the last six months. <clears throat> but discounting clearly has been required in order to maintain occupancies, uh, but it's just a question of how much. Yeah, you want to go first, Linda? Then you can go with the discounting. I was going to jump in about the uh, the growth, but far ahead. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, um, well, discounting has been a feature of the market for a long time, as you know, but I think. As things, as occupancies go down, obviously discounting could increase. 
uh, we'd expect it to, uh, but we don't really expect it to be uh, material. Um, we're seeing discounting of up to about 7% as being fairly normal, a normalised market. Um, but I think it depends, you know, like it just depends on the strategy of the, um, of the, uh, the owners, really. Yeah, so when we talk about discounting, we, we discount from rack rate being one thing, but also the concession rate as well that we have a, a very keen eye on, particularly in times like this. And where we see that concession rate, and that's the buy, buy one month, get the second month half price or whatever the offer might be, we see that really rising in highly competitive areas. So the correlation between rental growth and new supply is quite strong. I've recently done a number of these exercises for the Self-Storage Association uh, State of the Industry research piece that will soon be released to the market. And there's some really compelling correlation um, pieces in there where we've actually looked at the 10-year trend over the Airbus Storage Index to find a correlation between new supply, in particular in the major markets, population growth where we could, um, and, and the most interesting one actually is new residential releases to the market so that when I talk about new residential I'm um, really relating to apartments so new apartment releases to the market and we see spike in revenue growth when there's new apartments released um, particularly when the volume is greater than the year before and, um, and when new supply is strong we generally see revenue growth retreating back in those in those regions. So that's quite an interesting trend that we have been watching for some time, particularly that new supply story. As we know, there's quite a few new sites popping up and have been for a number of years now. Um, what about with the, um, we're starting to see more um, sort of developers, sort of real estate developers that traditionally have been focused in the traditional sectors of industrial and retail and office now starting to look at the self-storage sector. Are you are you seeing that as a as a as quite a strong trend across the across the across the country and um, and and what is sort of you know what what outcomes do you think will, will result from that? Yeah, it's interesting. We have had a lot of new inquiries about self-storage since COVID hit, particularly when restrictions eased in most of the cities. And I guess the strategy of most portfolios might have changed or shifted slightly. And we are seeing non-traditional self-storage developers wanting to get into storage, whether they do or not. I believe it was a similar trend in the GFC and there was a lot of talk about it, but whether they actually proceed or not is another question. Um, but out of the ones that we have taken inquiries from, uh, they seem to be pretty serious and they seem to be pretty, pretty cashed up. So the cash is there and the interest is there. It's just whether they can get a hold of the assets or not. And I think everybody, there's a lot of investment funds um, popping up and, and also traditional independent investors that are coming together and um, trying to be the next national storage. And whether that's possible or not, um, would be interesting to watch. But I, th I think that we're going to see more of that trend, definitely more non-storage developers and investors coming into the market. Yeah. I guess the risk is that we, you know, we could move to a sort of quite an oversupply or potential oversupply of, of assets. Yeah, the real risk is because there's lack of stock available to purchase. And even if you did approach the right owners, um, you know, the likelihood is some of the other major acquiring parties have already spoken to them. Um, so because of that lack of stock, the next option is to build. So what mm -hmm. we might see is a lot, a lot more building happening. And that feeds into that new supply story that we've been talking about for some time, which will most likely constrain fee rate growth 
And of course, we have this population growth dynamic happening now where we, we're not seeing that new population coming yeah. through. So it'll be interesting to see how each state uh, responds to that, particularly as um, immigration has slowed. But really, it's the type of population that's moving into an area to determine if they're going to use storage or not in any event. So whether that overseas migration is going to have a major impact, we're, we're, we're watching that closely. But really, um, you know, if it's an interstate migration story or whatever the case may be, that's um, probably the only saving grace is having that population strong and who knows with COVID that's likely to be slow in the, in the near term. How, how are the banks uh, responding to these, these sort of new developers or well, you know, developers coming into this new sector for them? Uh, are you seeing them applying any sorts of um, specific terms and conditions or requirements or generally having to land on the standard sort of LVR basis if they've got enough cash, they'll lend the money and they can go ahead and build it. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on their head there. If they have enough cash, I think it's to do with LVRs and how strongly mm. they're backed. And most of the entities that we find are coming to us are strongly backed with cash. Mm. So I think that's driving it. I'm not too sure the banks are all that involved in some of them and where they are, they seem to proceed. I mean, they generally... Um, do a lot of research first and, and we haven't seen, I guess, this new wave of entrance to the market progress to that stage yet, but they're discussing it with the banks and the banks seem to be open to that discussion. Um, I think when I mentioned the maturity of the asset class before, I think the banks are actually accepting that as well. So we have some really keen lending happening with the major banks looking for storage uh, customers, probably because of the resilience of the asset. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. We haven't seen that much in Queensland of um, new construction by new buyers to the market. It tends to be more where, you know, like uh, your majors are actually buying the asset off and funding it through type thing. Mm. Way, um, I think the fact that it takes three years to fill or four years to fill puts off a lot of developers, you know, because they just don't want to wait three or four years before it gets to maturity and, and there's not a lot going under lease anymore. And I guess the developers, the traditional development model is that, you know, ideally get a pre-commitment to, a, you know, for an industrial property or a commercial property um, or a retail property, you get a pre-commitment to a, a national tenant on a 10-year lease and, um, and then they can fund it through or sell it on, you know, build it and sell it on completion. Um, yeah. So that sort of three and four-year lease up negative cash flow component is probably... From the discussions we've had, it's been a little bit, um, it's new territory for them. Yeah. Takes a different mindset, I think, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. Right. Developers are inherently traders, right? And they, mm. they want to risk instantly and then move an asset on, uh, which is an entirely valid approach to development and mm. storage. I mean, we're about to start the construction of a four story greenfield site here uh, in Brisbane, just near the Brisbane airport. And, you know, yeah. They, they're long, slow burns. That's life. But mm. um, I guess certainly Rob and I and our investment group have, have, have become used to that. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind picking up um, Linda and, and Ross on, on the different tiers in the market. If you've got any commentary around different tiers, there's a couple of ways we could look at that. There's, there's a nationwide operators, there's independent operators, there's metropolitan, there's regional, uh, and there's modern uh, customer experience with multi-story or, or, or just very modern facilities and some of the automation coming through there uh, versus some of the older stock. Any sort of significant of the market that you're seeing either by banks or by yourselves as valuers or just that, that 
the customer demand and, and the ability to price at different levels. I'd love to get your thoughts on, on, on any of those segments if you've got some. Sorry, Hans, what do you mean by tiers? You're talking about qualitative assets, basically? All those things. So you've got different, so metropolitan, regional, how are, the, how are they, how are they um, being distinguished at the moment? Is there different growth rates uh, going on and there's a, you know, different tiers of the market with quality of, of, of property? And then there's also two tiers of operations. There's the nationwide operators uh, and then there's the, the independent operators. So yeah, any, any commentary on those sort of three areas would be interesting. And, and also, you know, how does that flow through in simple terms just to cap rates too? You know, does a, a regional country storage facility um, um, sort of have a, a higher cap rate than a, the same facility if it was sitting, situated in a, in a metropolitan area, even though it's trading well and, you know, it's high occupancy? That's right. And sorry, just a bit more context. Sorry, just to help with that discussion. Our experience through COVID is our regional Australian stores have performed extremely well uh, and continue to surprise us. It's, it's um, there's a whole range of either localised issues or perhaps the government in, the government stimulus has had a greater impact in those regional areas. We get to see how that plays out going forward. But it's uh, and then we've got you know some quite sizable stores in Melbourne, which which also were going extremely well uh, coming into the end of June and and have really flatlined or, or come down a little through the second wave of COVID, but but haven't been particularly smashed at all. Yeah. Uh, we've really seen different performances between regional and metropolitan, and maybe it's just an unusual set of circumstances. But anyway, yeah, I kind of think you know, like if you look at the different uh, areas where talking about cap rates in particular, you know, like obviously inner city in Sydney and Melbourne, we regard as probably uh, the tighter shields. And then, you know, like moving out from there, probably into the, uh, you know, Brisbane's probably a quarter of a percent behind for the same asset in each of the cities. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, like Tasmania, Western Australia and Northern Territory are probably at the bottom of the range, I would have thought. And, uh, you know, your suburban, or put it this way, regional is probably above those, or at a similar level to uh, those areas, we would have thought from a yield perspective. Uh, yeah. I might just jump in, Hans. In, in terms of your um, regional assets doing quite well and, and what you've made, the points that you made about the Melbourne assets, I think it's a really interesting point. It's a trend that we've picked up across the board. And I think the reason for it is um, sensitivity to pricing. So where the where storage is more affordable, it's, it's appeared to have weathered this storm a little bit better. And if we look to other markets like the US where storage is far more affordable than it is in, in um, Australia, there's, there's better absorption there. So I think you'll find that where it's more affordable and where there's a certain price point that feels affordable and, and doesn't um, stand out when you check your bank account every week or every month, whatever, whenever you're looking at it, then you've got less chance of losing that customer. And I think when we speak to the broader market, some of the areas that have surprised us the most, that have lost the most customers is where that price point is at the very top end of what could be expected in that area, because it just seems like an expense that you can do without when times are a little bit tougher. So for that reason, I think the regional markets have held a little bit stronger in this respect. It's also a lot to do with the catchment as well. So we're closely looking at the type of employment in each area. We always looked at um, the demographics of a catchment when we're valuing an asset. 
we do look at population growth and those other obvious things, but we look at unemployment rate, but now we're looking at the type of employment to, to try and preempt what that demand might be and how that might be impacted by whatever next is coming through the impact of COVID. And then how capitalization rates play into that and um, when it comes down to demand. And we've got a very interesting thing happening um, in Australia where there's a lot of demand for all assets or most assets if they're if they're reasonable assets and up until recently we didn't see too much variance between that that regional asset and the prime asset however i think the strategy has changed in the majors particularly um national storage where they are really keen to get those prime prime assets and because of that we're seeing more prime assets transact and those cap rates are looking tighter than we would have had access to data in the past so there seems to be a broader spread but i actually think it's just the strategy of the of the major players really focusing on those prime assets um, interestingly, with the Urban Storage Index, we've noticed that the inner markets have done a lot better in occupancy. Um, so price sensitivity being one thing, but the markets seem to have held quite strong in occupancy in those prime markets. Um, the outer markets have slugged a bit. Um, and I think that, that really fuels you know, the, the position of an asset and how a prime asset can weather most storms a little bit better than secondary assets. I think also anecdotally we're seeing a lot of the regions have actually weathered COVID quite well also just generally and um, what we've seen but also even chatting to people with retail shopping centres through these regional areas they haven't had the same impact that has that retailers has suffered in the metropolitan areas I guess through social distancing and things like that it's just those regions just seem to have ticked along and um, and I think that's sort of what we've seen in the, in our self storage facilities as well. But whereas the outer outer some of the outer suburban areas in the major metropolitan areas have really been hit hard from a you know job losses point of view and uh, things like that. I think it's a very good point. And even the impact of COVID. I mean, you go to outer Sydney and everyone's wearing a mask and has to wear a mask because there's so many hotspots. And here in the Central Coast, you wouldn't even think COVID exists at the moment. So it's also how that um, plays into. Um, confidence in the market, I think, as well, or confidence in that, that discretionary spend that we talk about when we mention storage quite a bit. Yeah, so I was going to say, it makes for a difficult customer transaction when the staff member's wearing a mask and the customer's wearing a mask. It's you know, it's <laughs> uh, it doesn't make it doesn't make um, life very easy for anyone uh, that's involved. Sorry, Rob, you, you were going to say. I was going to say, um, Lynn, you mentioned that spread between prime and non-prime yields. Um, how it was narrow and now it's sort of widened a bit. Um, what about in terms of, um, uh, is there a spread for managed platforms? So when you've got a, a single asset um, that's run by the original owners compared to an asset that's sort of under the management of a, of a national brand? Yeah, so we'd love to see a major portfolio transact so that we can actually have um, evidence to support what that spread would be or what that um, premium cap rate would be if it was a portfolio transaction. We have a number of small transactions or small portfolio transactions that we're aware of um, and we try and analyze those and they tell us it's in the region of 25 basis points to 50 basis points maybe. But if a major portfolio was to transact, you know, who knows, it might be it might be 100 basis points, it might even be more. And we got very close to that earlier in the year and we were quite excited about seeing what that number was, but unfortunately we didn't get the answer. So yes, there is a premium there. And I think um, not only would local uh, investors love to get access to a sizable portfolio or a premium portfolio, but now there's international interest and, and very heightened international interest as well. So 
I think um, I think hopefully someday we will see that, but there's definitely a premium that will be paid for it. Yeah, we'd, we'd support that 25 to 50 basis points as well. And I think that um, we've analysed a number of industrial portfolios sales, and that's what they're showing about 25 to 50 basis so it sort of begs a question I'm keen to understand from, from you, Linda, and from Ross, what do you think drives the performance of an asset in all of the analysis that you do? Uh, you know, we talk about some of the regional areas which have done very well and, and we've been the beneficiary in some of those and it's just, that's just good fortune. Uh, you know, we can't, we can't claim that. Uh, some, some areas have just really taken off and some are down and the extreme examples are always the mining the, the mining cycles in, in various parts of the country. And uh, the, the other is, um, you know, the presentation of the store, uh, its location. Uh, so there's some macro issues, you know, in, in the local economy, uh, there's some physical attributes and then there's the management of the store. Yeah, have you got any commentary on, on how, what the key things that you analyze when you're looking to see the performance of a store and, and hence uh, any any value that any value premium or rating that you might want to put on it? Yeah, so a few years ago, probably about two years ago now, we, we launched the Urbis grading tool, which, um, which has had uh, various levels of uptake. But through that process, we interviewed quite a few participants. I think you were one of them, Hans, um, about what does drive strong performance in a facility. And from that, we we determined um, what, what, what classifies a premium or an A grade or a B grade asset. And one of the things that came out quite strong there was the catchment. So the catchment in terms of, as I mentioned before, the demographics, the demographic catchment, so the socio um, uh, catchment that, that applies to that, to that drive time or that 5K radius or whatever it is that you're using. Um, but, but the amount of supply in the area, I think, is, is critical to that. So when we look at any, any asset, whether we're valuing it or grading it, we look at the existing supply and the future supply and try and predict if that supply can be absorbed, particularly where there's high levels of new supply. So that's the primary thing I would say. Um, but secondly, presentation I think is more and more important these days. People like to go into somewhere nice. We now see really large, really well presented merchandise display areas. And those facilities have shown to have stronger other income or merchandise sales revenue because of that. So the market has matured in that respect. And we are now seeing better facilities on offer. And I think customers are choosing those better standard facilities. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's really the drivers of the market, isn't it? You know, like we've got um, all those factors that actually make the occupancies or prop up the occupancies or whatever. And uh, they're all the same, you know, we do exactly the same analysis as you guys do. And, and with that customer experience that you're touching on, Linda, the automation, uh, uh, Ross or Linda, are you seeing an increase in automation? I'm surely we, you know, our, our theory on that is, it's not unique, is, you know, the health, health issues at the moment are going to drive long awaited automation of a, you know, of an industry that has had, because we've got high profit margins, we've had low incentives to innovate. So we haven't had a lot of innovation and the innovation that we require to have a contactless experience is not that hard really. Uh, and we're starting to see that come right through it. Are you, yeah, you guys seeing the same thing and do you think that that, that plays into performance and value as well? I think it will. At the moment, it hasn't really come in yet. 
But I think, uh, you know, like if you look at what's happening overseas, it's certainly in Europe, it's uh, quite strong over there. As in, you don't even need to see anyone, you know, like you basically you just go in and, and uh, it all does it for you. So we, which will reduce salaries and things like that as well. But yeah, I think it's certainly going to come in. I think this whole COVID thing is, uh, as you mentioned, is actually driving the, or accelerating uh, automation. Yeah, I think the industry took probably three years of a step forward when COVID hit and a lot of the major operators allowed um, con contactless move-ins and, um, and contactless payments and automated payments and all of that. So I think that we've already taken a step forward to that. Will we see no managers in stores in the future? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure that we're a culture that would want that. I think there's going to be a place for automation and, and we've proven that over the past six to six months there thereabouts but um i think you'll always need that person or that face to upsell the insurance to upsell the the merchandise to do all of those things so like everything that we're hearing now somewhere in the middle is probably the answer um but we've definitely taken a huge step forward with it yeah well, yeah. well i mean the challenge to that of course um though linda is you know the bank banks and bank managers and atms and now the post offices as well, you know, it's all, it's probably a, it's just probably something that's going to take some time to eventually get to a point where, you know, maybe in the future there won't be any any staff in these facilities. Mm. Maybe it's a ten year cycle or, or a ten year change. There's different views there, isn't there? I mean, for, for us, that that focus super critical for our management and and having someone that's deeply engaged in their local community is, is really important. Uh, so it, 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 maybe it's a balance in between and, and I always think the distinction of self-storage versus say hotels which are often completely automated check-in now you don't need to have a reception desk in a lot of them uh, car parking's the same as they're, they're short-term transactions you're in you're out for storage people have got this big gear there for quite some time mm. so the requirement for that peace of mind that sense of security is different and potentially it will, therefore requires that face-to-face -face comfort that someone might want, um, but not everyone. There's certainly there's a, a number of customers that I don't want to see anyone. Contactless is the way I want, and I'm in and I'm out. But so, yeah, we, we'll see where that settles. But it's, it's got to wait and play out, uh, sure. Yeah, one of the things that might drive it actually is the protection of revenue because if we're not getting revenue growth because the market isn't there to allow that at the moment and as we've both said it could take three years to get strong growth again then the next um, option to try and grow revenue is to reduce operating expenses so I think potentially that might push some of it on but there's, there's other ways I suppose to reduce operating expenses and maybe salaries isn't the first one off the off the list but um but potentially it will be a target going forward because it is probably one of the highest well it is the highest usually um line item in all of the operating expenses that we look at so maybe that will drive it on further look some of the other expense items I know you've done some analysis on this Linda and, and also Ross key ones are clearly marketing uh, electricity is another big one. Um, we, we certainly are rolling out solar across our facilities and you know, not a moment too soon that uh, I think yeah, a lot of the main, major operators are doing the same thing. Uh, the other is marketing and it'd be interesting just to talk a little bit about that. I, I know looking at the results from the big operators in the US, some of their marketing has been, it's been increased 40% uh, in, in the last six to 12 months. So there's been a 
massive increase in the amount of marketing spend. Um, and I don't know how they break that up. Maybe there's some discounting or concessions that are built into that as well. I don't know. But yeah, any commentary around the trends that you're seeing and the importance of marketing uh, and, and or discounting in, in the Australian New Zealand market? I think in all competitive industries, marketing becomes more and more important as the industry becomes more competitive. So I don't think it's one that's gonna go away because it's it's almost vital. And we're seeing more modes of advertising being used all, all the time. So, you know, you turn the radio on, you turn the TV on and there's ads for storage on there. Um, in order to keep up with that, everyone's gonna to have to do a similar or take a similar approach. So I'm, I'm not sure, even though marketing will be one that I'm sure all operators would love to reduce, I'm not sure that it's gonna be that easy to do so because the market has become this competitive. It'll be interesting to see what types of marketing. I mean, there's been some really quirky things happening in New Zealand in terms of marketing that were, that were interesting to watch and had, they've had some success. Um, so potentially we'll see some new ideas coming through and with social media, there might be some stronger results coming through from that um, sort of low cost marketing spend. But in general, it's gonna be quite difficult to reduce marketing fees, I would expect. Mm -hmm. I think also coupled with the competition, there's the the, the avenues of media distribution have just have expanded exponentially. So people are consuming media or information from all different sources. So, you know, the marketing, the marketing channels are, are sort of tenfold compared to sort of 15 years ago when it was the yellow pages. Um, and that was it, you know, so um, it's it certainly uh, to get front and center. It's, there's, there's quite a, quite a lot of activity that has to be undertaken. Uh, look, conscious of time, everyone, uh, we've, we've been nearly an hour and, uh, and I've loved the discussion. It's been, been, been fantastic as it always is with, with you both. Uh, are there any comments? There's uh, Rob's dog uh, making a contribution to the chat. Uh, my salient in, uh, input today. Uh, the, uh, any other comments that you would like to close out with? Uh, commentaries on the market or something that our viewers might might take as a, as a good insight into the current market conditions in, in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. One of the things, you go Ross, I'm jumping okay. in a lot, so you go. Well, the only thing I was gonna say is we always get asked, you know, where where in the cycle are we? Are we at the peak? What are cap rates doing? All of that, um, you know, that that looking for that answer to determine whether it's a good time to sell or if it's a good time to build a new store, whatever, whatever might be playing on your mind. But all I'd say is like all property cycles, it is a cycle. And even though we may be entering a bit of an uncertain market at the moment, and, and that will come with its challenges, um, it is a cycle. So um, I just leave people with this positivity or positive note and a little bit of optimism that um, hopefully we will come out of this sooner than later, rather than later. Yeah, I think from my perspective, um, I think the, um, whilst we're in a cycle, I think that, uh, once we get through this COVID period, I think it's uh, looking pretty good going forward. You know, like I think Australia's pretty well positioned um, across the globe. So yeah, I think it's a, a good period for us. Rob, any any comments from your end? No, um, no, just really thanks, uh, Ross and Linda, for the discussion. It's been really interesting. It's at, um, it's at the interesting times and. Uh, I'm certainly going to be watching um, very interesting to see how all these different um, 
how the different sectors are valued and uh, what happens. I think we're on the at the commencement of another new era for self storage, um, given what's happened in other sectors and the and the money that's out there looking for a, for a safe home, uh, and then coupled with um, you know how the how the economy emerges from this COVID um, shock. Um, yeah, I sort of agree with you, Ross. I think it's going to be quite an exciting um, few years after we get once we get clear of the COVID um, drag. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, Rob. And, and I, at our board uh, and our management team, we you know we strategize you know a, a pessimistic view, but we're certainly very much strategizing a more optimistic view and, and potentially even a sharp rebound um, as. Uh, Perhaps some demand has been deferred. Certainly, some of that demand, the longer these shutdowns go on, may not come back. But, but uh, what we saw in June, uh, and not just us, uh, the uh, you know, a lot of operators just saw an incredible rebound in June. It was just fantastic, and and uh, discounting has disappeared from our uh, our dialogue in stores, and uh, and we're really pleased about that. So, so yep, we're optimistic, and great to hear that you are as well. And and I'm sure our viewers are wherever they are around the world in, in the different cycles of the economy and, um, and this, this strange thing called COVID that's, uh, that's arrived on our doorsteps in 2020. So uh, in closing, thank you very much, Ross. I really appreciate your time as always. Uh, and Linda, uh, you're both very giving of your time and your, and your knowledge to the industry here in New Zealand and Australia. And we greatly appreciate it. Uh, Rob, thanks. Thanks for your insights too, mate, as always. Uh, much appreciated. And, uh, and again, for those watching, you can check out all the Storecast interviews. We've done 12 uh, prior episodes to this and there's more to come. Uh, and uh, we've got some special guests coming up uh, from the sporting community uh, who are also happen to be investors in self-storage. So we'll, uh, we'll get some different perspectives on business and sport over the coming weeks. Uh, but check out all the episodes at storelocal.com.au forward slash Storecast. Thanks again, everyone, and uh, appreciate your time. Uh, chat soon. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Hans. Thanks, guys. See ya.